few weeks ago, Caleb, my husband, shared with me an article that was talking about what if you were trying to explain to your 2019 self what 2020 would be like? What if you were trying to explain to your 2019 self what it would be like? And I want to do that with just a few pictures. I picked a few of the ones that stood out to me most in this article. So I just want to show you a few of those this morning. As you look, orange skies from fires. The first concert in the UK was socially distanced with bullpens where only family units could be seated there. You'll see that in just a moment. We couldn't have imagined not filling that space, but just having a bullpen where you could sit with your family. Or advertisements like this next one, for virtual work meetings, <laughs> this is your waist up style for video conferencing. Could you have imagined elevate your favorite comfy bottoms? Could you imagine that on Target site? Explain that to your 2019 self. Video conference outfits to complete your virtual statement look. Can't quite picture explaining that to myself. Cardboard fans and sports stadiums being able to, to pay for your loved one's face on a cardboard cutout so that they could be a part of the sporting events that didn't allow live audiences. Car a South Carolina restaurant did what many restaurants did when they were allowed to reopen. They had to distance people and so they had blow up dolls so that people didn't feel like they were dining alone or in an empty restaurant. In Barcelona, the Opera House, 2,292 plants were placed where the people would be so that when they were playing songs, they played to those plants. Isn't it good to play classical music to your plants anyway? I'm sure those plants were just seriously growing, but we couldn't imagine. Now, this is my personal favorite from this collection that they shared in this article, the priest squirting holy water in a drive-by worship service. Try explaining any of these things to your 2019 self. If, if someone were frozen in time back then and then just showed up right now, how would you describe to them what life has been like for the last eight months in 2020? If you find yourself still reeling a bit or if you find yourself just hitting peak, like the, the wall of exhaustion, we've been talking about this time of 2020 as the ultra marathon that we've been running together. And so you might just want to ask yourself, as I've asked myself, what kind of grace are you giving to yourself right now? What kind of grace are we sharing with one another? This has not been a typical year. Yes, there were other years that you had challenges, but collectively, we've been in a bit of an unusual time, wouldn't you say? And in the midst of this, we're talking about stories that shape us, stories that anchor us, stories that hold us in the midst of what has been a very unusual time. Would you just pause and pray with me? God, from wherever we are right now, I'm asking that you would pour out your grace on us. We couldn't imagine all that this year would be. For some, it has been easier than for others, but for all of us, it has been different. So especially my prayer is for those who have been facing extraordinarily hard times, those who are grieving the loss of a loved one in these 
abnormal times, those who have been facing loss of work, loss of seeing family in so many different ways, our support systems and structures have shifted. Would you just put your hand on them right now, wherever they're listening from? And God, in the midst of this, as we receive the outpouring of your grace and your Holy Spirit, would you once again tune us to your voice to hear from your word this morning? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're in this series called Stories That Shape Us, and each week I've been looking at stories from the early church and from early Adventist history that have an impact on our lives. Yet for all of these stories that we will tell during this series, for all the stories that I'm sharing with you, these ones that have names and faces and places in history, there are those stories that are never told. There are those people who get to have a name when we tell their story. And then there are those who go unnamed. There are those that we get to talk about as heroes. And then there are those heroes who have stories that we never tell. And those unnamed ones, they are a blessing. They are a gift, though we never know their name and we never tell their story, they matter. They were persecuted or they experienced injustice. They remained faithful and true in the midst of opposition, yet we will never know their name. This happens today and it happened in history. It's happened to believers all throughout time. Ones who didn't feel like they were extraordinary, people didn't know who they were, and yet history is not the same because they were here. For every story that we tell, there are countless other stories that are untold that have an impact on us today. The stories that shape you, even your family stories, the stories that have happened in your life, are not only the stories that you tell, but the ones that never get told. Pastor Kendra Holoviak Valentine reminded me of the importance of the untold story as she preached back in August for Sligo Church. She was commemorating the time when three, herself included, and Pastor Norma Osborne, who also is here as an elder, um, that's two of the three women that were ordained at Sligo Church, September 23, 1995. And she was there for their homecoming service and commemorating this. And she preached about the untold story. That's a good sermon. Go look it up. Today, I'm going to tell one of those stories, an untold story of an unnamed woman. But first, part of a letter that Peter wrote. These words that shaped the believers as he wrote to them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. Read it along with me. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Don't you love how Peter connects that in with the rest? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Surely the suffering you're experiencing and I'm experiencing right now, and even the suffering that we've had right now is different from before. 
But no matter what our suffering looks like, if we frame it in light of the suffering of Christ, I wonder what difference that would be for us. What help would that be for us if we, if we, like Peter is telling us, frame this in light of walking along with the God who is willing to come and who is willing to suffer, who is willing to enter in to our pain. Popular, popular theology can give this impression that the sun always shines on the life of the Christian. The grass is always green. And even if things are rough, the Christian has a smile on their face. I'm in right, out right, up right, down right happy all the time, right? It can give this impression. But Peter is reminding us that this is simply not true. Christians, he says, even suffer for doing good. Even when you do the right thing, you might end up suffering. The tense of the verb here suggests that it be read, stop being surprised by the fiery trials that you are experiencing. If you feel under attack, remember it's not strange or unusual. There's a spiritual warfare going on. Satan is attacking. Christians have faced trials and suffering since the beginning. The early church faced this. So our story for the day, the story of an unnamed woman. Will Campbell tells this story. It's an unnamed Anabaptist woman who lived in Antwerp. She was arrested for preaching, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, sharing the good news that had changed her life. She was reading the scriptures for herself, not something popular in the time. She underwent the inquisition of the clerics for heresy. She went through the bodily torture by the civil authorities, but she wouldn't buckle under the pressure. After six months, she said, I will not promise to stop preaching the word. I must share the good news. So the authorities did what they thought they had to do. They sentenced her to death October 5, 1573, this very month. Her teenage son took his youngest brother and they stood near the stake. They stood to be close to her so that they could witness and bring her some comfort as she faced this trial. There were three other women and one man all dying because of the same offense unauthorized preaching of the gospel. How dare you preach this good news, especially as women, how dare you proclaim this, but none of you are, are, are ordained for this. None of you have the authority to do this. But though he fainted when the fire was lit, the teenage boy came to, and after losing his mother, he said, my mother would not be silenced and neither will I. She was committed to sharing the good news. We don't know her name. We know that she was this unnamed Anabaptist woman that was written about, that we have records about. And she was so committed to Jesus and to sharing this good news that it affected the next generation. Her son rose up to share the good news because of her witness. This week, Pastor BT, who is president of the Society of Adventist Communicators, they had this virtual conference. And so some from our pastoral staff got to join in. I dropped in for a keynote presentation by Kim Lear. And she said this, it's rare for any generation to see the fruits of their labor. You pour out, you pour out, you pour out, but you don't know what the impact is. Sometimes we ask these big questions. Has my life mattered? Have I made a difference? Have I done what I was put here for? 
And Kim said, we're asking these questions at a younger age. Used to be people would think of these questions at midlife or near end of life, but now younger and younger people are asking, am I doing what matters? Is this what I'm put here for? We know this to be true. The things that you think have gone unnoticed have made an impact. There is no way for you to do those good things in the world and for them not to affect us. That extra support you've shown someone, the video that you dared to share sharing your story, the quality of the work that you've been doing on your job, the abundant love you've been showering on your kids, the example of the integrity that you have, that those who know you know who you are, all of it has an impact. The people around you may not know, your boss may not know, even the IRS may not know that integrity that you've demonstrated, but God sees all of it and it has an impact. The Bible is full of anonymous heroes, unnamed people who made an impact. Gideon's 300 men that were all heroes, but we don't know any of their names. 7,000 that didn't bow their knee to Baal. Remember, Elijah said, I'm all alone, God. And God says, I've got 7,000 that are still left who haven't bowed their knee. Then there's the wise men from the East in the New Testament, the leper, the centurion and his servant, the, the certain scribe, Matthew describes, the two demon-possessed men, the palsied men who's borne up by his four friends and brought to Jesus, the man with the withered arm, the demoniac, the young child sitting on Jesus' lap, the rich young ruler, the saints who were raised up at the resurrection of Jesus, the boy who gave his lunch to feed all of those people, the 70 disciples. What were those unnamed ones? What were their names again? Jeff, Gary, Mary, we don't know. The eunuch, the jailer, Acts, the early church, they just kept going on. So many unknown and yet fully known by God. Unknown to us, but fully known by God. J.I. Hassler says, though some such unknowns may not be the light of the world, which cannot be hid as some of their more famous counterparts, yet they are like salt mingling with the mass to stay corruption or like leaven, which works in obscurity. The early church, you see, was small and weak. It wasn't organized like we see it today. It didn't look successful or flashy or influential. So it's fitting that Jesus uses this metaphor. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, a whole section in red. We're just going to read 13 to 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city up on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice Jesus doesn't say you should be the light of the world as if to put some heavy burden on you, nor does he put it off into the future and say you will be the salt of the earth as if it's some future goal to attain. Instead, Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Yes, already. 
right now from wherever you're tuning in exactly where you are right now you're messed up sometimes small seemingly forgettable no matter how many people know your name you are salt you are light in this world salt and light are not elements that humans produce elements that are first found in nature we we know that god made these so it is with those who follow Jesus. You are salt and you are light. You are not self-made. Rather, your life is all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. My life is all a gift because of the grace that I have been given. Salt and light are not rare. They're common. They're all around us. They're easy to overlook and undervalue. But yet salt and life are essential for life to exist. History tells us others who've gone before us have realized how valuable and essential salt was. Salt. People were paid in salt. They received their salary in salt because no matter how much money or food or water you have, if you don't have salt, you can't preserve that food. You can't sustain your own life. And think about it. Whatever you ate for breakfast this morning, that might be something to share in the chat. What did you have for breakfast? Our vegan spiced pumpkin buckwheat pancakes were amazing. Just a side note. But every calorie you consume would not be possible without the light that comes from the sun, which hits the earth. Everything that we receive comes from that light. They're good for the world, salt and light. They're useful. Our goal as believers is to be beneficial to those around us. We can't measure our success based on the world's standards. How many followers do you have? How known are you? How much money do you have? How much have you built up? How many people will you impact? You don't always know those things. We may feel small, but the point is and has always been to bring glory to God. Oh, that tofu scramble sounds good. Through each of our lives, God wants to bring glory. Alexander Papadouris was born on the island of Crete during the Second World War, and his hometown was completely destroyed by the Nazis. Alexander was still a child, and he was interned at a concentration camp. After the war, he determined to be a, a force for peace and forgiveness in the world. He studied under the Orthodox Church. He studied theology and became a professor, and in 1965, he opened up an institute to promote peace and reconciliation. And here's the thing, he chose the very spot that was the site for the worst war atrocities. And that's where he opened up his center for peace and reconciliation. One day after he finished a lecture, this story is told, and it is a true story. There were those who were there in the crowd after he finished his lecture to the students, and he was wrapping up question and answers, and he was asked this question, what's the meaning of life? There was nervous laughter in the room. How could such a big question be taken on as the last question of the day? But Papadouris answered it. He opened up his wallet and he took out a small round mirror. And he described that as he was a small boy, he came from a very poor family during this time and he was going through all of this suffering. So as he was walking, he saw this site where there was a motorcycle accident. And he tried to pick up all the little tiny bits of mirror 
that had been smashed from this motorcycle. And as all of these pieces were there, he was trying to fit them together unsuccessfully. He couldn't find it all. So he just took the biggest piece and he took rocks and he sharpened it and made it smooth and polished off the edges until he had this perfect circle of a mirror. And he said that was his favorite toy. It was the only toy he had, but he said it was his favorite and he would use it to shine it in crevasses or into little holes, or he would practice shining the light into all of the spaces. That was what he did. He said that he kept that mirror as he grew up and over time it came to symbolize something very meaningful for him. Not just a toy, but a metaphor for his life. And here I quote him. I am a, I am, I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places in this world, the hearts of men, and change some things in some people. And perhaps they may see it and do likewise. That is what I'm about. This is what's meaningful in my life. I don't know the whole design, but the piece that I have, I will take it. I will reflect the light and perhaps change some and invite them to do the same. No matter what happens in our lives, whether you're known by many or you're known by few, whether your name is easy to pronounce or difficult to say, your very name is known to God. Your story matters. Your life matters. Even if you relate to the story of one who is unnamed and unknown, except for these few facts that we have about her, she refused to stop. In the face of darkness, she refused to stop sharing the light. She said, I must share this good news. I must be a voice of hope to those around me. Salt and light may not seem like the most precious elements. Gold and diamonds and silver may feel more precious, but they're invaluable to life. Even as they are common, we cannot live without them. And your life is invaluable to God. They, you, even like salt and light, are useful to give life and flavor to all. It's a pretty worthy goal of our lives, isn't it? The psalmist says to teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. We're given this short time to make a difference. So shine your light, friends. Grab your little piece of mirror and shine your light, friends. No matter what your story is, no matter how unnamed or unknown, shine your light, shine your story. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to not make a difference because God is at work. Salt and light, that is what you are. In benediction, let's pray. Our God, would you anoint us all with your spirit even now? These stories, stories remind us of what matters most. Holding on to hope, speaking the good news, refusing to be silent about what we know and are convicted of. And I think of all of the stories of injustice right now and all of the people in our congregation that are willing to say their name. I thank you, God. For all of the people that have shaped us and formed our lives that we don't even know, 
their name. We don't even know their story. We give you thanks and we give you praise for all of the people that shaped and formed our stories from our family lineage, from our history as a nation and as a world. We pause to give you thanks, praising you for those faithful, those persons of integrity and love and hope that have continued to pour out that love in the face of darkness. We are here and we are better because of their lives. May we have the courage to do the same. May we be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining in today. We're so glad that you're here. Let us know about how you have experienced worship today. And I look forward to jumping on the chat and being able to talk with you. May God bless you as you go into this next week. May you realize that those things which might seem insignificant or unseen or unknown matter. They matter to God and they matter to each of us. May God bless you.